Today I want to talk about, if you're going to sing joy to the world, you've got to have joy. You've got to have something to share. I'm going to talk about why at Christmas time joy may be the, the goal, it may be the point, and, and uh, how we get there. We're going to give back to God first, and as we do that, if you're a guest, don't worry about that. That's just part of our church family, what we do. And, and I also want to mention that um, if uh, you haven't signed up to serve, uh, you need to do that. We're going to have... 10, 12,000 people here over that weekend, and we need help, especially in parking. And if you want to grow your faith and become a strong Christian, this is your chance. I guarantee you. Anyway, if you'd like to sign up, not if you'd like to, just please do sign up. In addition to bringing somebody that weekend, uh, sign up and work one of the services. We could use your help and we want to provide a great atmosphere and opportunity for all of our guests. So now here's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of project and, and kind of tell you what's going to happen. After Christmas, you're going to get back to work and maybe the, the week after New Year's or whatever. And somebody's going to say, how are your holidays or how was your Christmas? And you're going to answer them and you're going to answer them incorrectly. I can just predict it because that's what we all do. You are going to answer them in a way that, that uh, is reflective of the wrong things. And what if I could guarantee you, if you will listen to me today, I can guarantee you that you can answer that question honestly and forthrightly and acknowledge that you had a great Christmas. I can guarantee that. Anybody up for that? You just write a small donation to the church, and I... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Here's the deal. We usually answer how our Christmas was based on circumstances. The turkey turned out, the kids didn't fight too much, you got along with your brother, um, whatever it is, and you say, yeah, it was great, and I got some nice gifts, the kids enjoyed their gifts, we all were home full of all kinds of things that are great and, and important and stuff, but it's not really how we determine Christmas. It's not what Christmas is about. Because you are answering on one level, but Christmas is about a whole nother level. All right? So you're answering, uh, what you're actually answering is, did I have a happy Christmas? And I want you all to have happy Christmas. I hope that happens. But that's not the ultimate goal of Christmas, to have a happy Christmas. I want you to have a joyful Christmas. We sing joy. The angels came and talked about joy. Right? Good news. Joy. So here's the deal. The difference is happiness is happenstance. It's where happiness comes from, happenstance. In other words, how you feel is based on what happens around you, your circumstances. And what we almost always answer about our holidays, about our Christmas, is about our stances, <laughs> our circumstances. Did it work out? Were the things around? Was it happy? Would the family get along? Whatever it was. But what if there were a deeper meaning and a deeper intention? It has to do with joy, which is less externally focused and determined, and something internal. You don't have any control about this around here all the circumstances. You don't have complete control about joy either, surprisingly, but you have some. And what I can say is that if you will seek, earnestly, sincerely seek joy, I can guarantee you a great Christmas. Because joy is better than happiness. Happiness is great. Love happiness. Hope we're all happy. But joy is independent upon your circumstances. So I want to uh, refer to a passage I've been looking at. Uh, I looked at last week, we're going to look at this week and next week. And, and I'm going to tie, I hope I'm going to tie these two together. We'll see. Uh, Isaiah 9, 6, we read this last week. For to us, a child is born, us, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last week we talked about Wonderful Counselor. I'd like to take the next couple of words today and combine them with this pursuit of joy that I suggest we all have. 
Um, remember, Luke 2 said, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, if the great joy is caused by the Messiah coming, that hasn't changed and won't change no matter what circumstances are over Christmas. If the Messiah has come, then joy is available. And so I want to talk about how we experience joy and, and why this should be joyful. Now, joy is interdirected, but it is intended for all believers. L- listen to some of these passages, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a ma- This is really an important passage this time of year. Listen, you could say for Christmas is not... Listen. Uh, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, what's critical there is is to remember that the celebration is not about food and the stuff. It's about something deeper. It's about spiritual issues, which, by the way, happen in the Spirit. And so it tells us that it's a spiritual thing, and the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, is the one who administers or causes this joy. We'll talk about this more in a moment. Um, It's... it's an interesting thing about joy because joy can be chosen but not manufactured. You can choose joy, but you can't make it happen. Just like a gift. You get a gift at Christmas. You can choose to open it, but you didn't make the gift happen. You didn't buy the gift. You well, hopefully you didn't buy the gift. It's a little weird. Um, probably some moms in the room going, if I'm going to get one, I'm going to have to buy it myself. Um, <laughs> right? But the joy is kind of like that. It is a gift from God, and we can choose to receive that gift, to open that gift, but we didn't cause that gift. You know what I'm saying? You can't sit around and and clench your fist and go, I'm going to be joyful, I'm going to be joyful. Right? You can't. But you can choose to receive the gift of joy. Listen to this passage. Um, 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message, so in other words, you received the gift, in the midst of severe suffering, so suffering, circumstances, it's not dependent upon circumstances, this joy thing, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So the gift is joy, the giver of the gift is God, and the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives you this gift, it is your opportunity to choose it or receive it, and it goes on. There are other things we know about joy. Um, it's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. As the Spirit works in you to develop you, to grow you, to make you more like Christ, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. In other words, it is a part of the fruit or the byproduct of becoming a Christ follower and allowing God to grow you. And so Christmas is a wonderful time to focus on this particular part of the fruit of the Spirit, joy. We go on to read that Christ intended for all of us to have joy and not just a little bit of, of joy. Listen to this in John 17, 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have, talking about us, the full measure of my joy. God doesn't want you to just be joyful. He wants you to have a full measure, overflowing with joy. Have you ever met someone who is joyful? They're just joyful. They're just, they're bubbly. There's something about them. It goes beyond personality. It goes to really something spiritual. And that's what is intended for us. We go on and find that, um, that this is a miraculous work that God does in us. And that he does it not just at Christmas time, but whenever we are willing to receive the gift. Uh, Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. 
In other words, this isn't a, you've got to rejoice. Now, rejoice. It isn't that at all. It's rejoice because God is working in you. That fruit of the Spirit, that is at work in you. You can be a joyful person at all times. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 6.10. Sorrowful. In other words, even when there is sadness, there are people in this room today who are sad. You're coming into this holiday season. You've just gotten a bad diagnosis or you've lost your job. Or I, I know a number of these specific cases right now. Uh, there's a relational challenge going on in your life. I know some of you are going through that. And yet it says sorrowful, yet rejoicing because it's not circumstantial. Because ultimate things are still in place. The eternal things are still in place. God loves you. Nothing can take that away from you. Not, not cancer, not divorce, not the loss of a job. Nothing can take that away from you. You're going to spend, if you are a Christ follower, eternity in heaven. Nothing can take that away from you. At the end of the day, at the bottom of who you are, there is joy. There can be sadness and joy at the same time. That's an interesting thing. And yet, joy is probably... Um, it's harder to be seen in our world and harder to experience, but it's the more powerful thing. So how do, we, how do we do this? How do we come to be joyful people? If it's not something we self-manufacture, but we can, we can choose, how does this happen? So let me just give you some thoughts on how to be, become a joyful person. One is respond to God affirmatively. Whatever God's doing in your life, respond to his, his response, or to his initiation. So, so think about Mary. Let's just think about Mary for a moment. Uh, the angel comes to her and says, Mary, um, you're going you're gonna to have a baby. And she's, well, I'm a virgin. It's not going to work. And, and at the end of that conversation, when the angel says, uh, Spirit of the Lord will overshadow you, yada, yada, at the end of it, she says in the King James, let it be as you've said unto me. In other words, okay, I'm good. God, your will, I'm in this deal. Let's do it. Now we find just after that, when she goes to visit um, Elizabeth, she sings this song. And in the first or second line of this song, I think it's the first line, she talks about how joyful she is or joyous this occasion is. Here's a lesson. Whenever we respond affirmatively to what God is trying to do in our life, joy will be the result. Think about the shepherds. Shepherds are minding their own business, playing poker out on the hills, watching the sheep, right? And all of a sudden, angels appear, and the angels say, you will find a babe wrapped in cloths in a manger. The angels disappear. The shepherds immediately respond affirmatively, we're going to go see this thing. And so they respond positively to God's message to them, to the angels. They go see the baby, and it says, and they return glorifying and praising God. They were joyful because joy is the result of obedience to God. Of acting affirmatively toward God. The Magi, for example, um, they see this, uh, this star. The reason they knew the star meant something is because the Israelites had been held captive in their country many years before, probably, and the, the scholars among them remembered the Jews were looking forward to a Messiah. They equated this star, which appeared that direction, with the Messiah, and so the minute they saw it, they immediately wrap up uh, their stuff, they, they pack up, and they head off. They get to Herod, who, by the way, Herod did not respond affirmatively to God's message. He didn't even know God's message. He had to call the scribes in, and they said, yeah, the Messiah is supposed to be in Bethlehem. They went on about their way. They didn't respond. Herod responded negatively, if you remember, because later he sent an army to kill all the little kids in Bethlehem. Remember that? Right? By the way, Herod's death was awful. You can read about it both in Scripture and in extra-biblical sources. Herod did not respond affirmatively to God's word, and he died a horrible death, which says that worms ate him from the inside out. I'm just saying. When God speaks, you might want to pay attention. 
So the magi, the wise men, leave Herod. They head toward Bethlehem, and the star appears again, and it says they were overjoyed. Whenever we follow through on what God leads us to, we will find uh, that joy is the product of that. Whenever we're obedient to God, joy, even if we don't understand it at the moment, even if we don't understand how it's going to work out, joy comes from obedience to God. It just does. It's not something you can achieve on your own, but when we're obedient to God on the deepest levels, we have joy because we know we're where we're supposed to be. We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're in God's plan. It's a powerful thing. Saying, okay, that's interesting, but I'm not supposed to be following any stars right now. So here's my, here's my challenge, one of my challenges for you. You want to be a joyful person, have a great Christmas. I want you to get some time with God, read his word, and see if there's anything you need to change in your life. Now, for most of us, right now, we know exactly what it is. Sitting here, right here, in this moment, we know what it is. I know what mine is. I'm working on it, but I'm not there yet. It may be anger, it might be bitterness, it might be some character issue might be something you're carrying with you. And one of the ways to kind of distinguish is, is this thing something that Christ came and lived and died and was resurrected so that I could have? Because when you look at bitterness, I'm pretty sure that's not why he came. If you look at ongoing anger, I'm pretty sure that's not why he came. If you're looking at addiction, I'm pretty sure that's not why he came. Did he come so that I could experience this? that I could have this part of my life. If not, it may be that I need to deal with it. It's on a negative side. Uh, and, and by the way, taking some action, you may need to ask for help to get beyond an addiction. You may need to go reconcile with somebody who you have had animosity toward for years. You may need to do something like that to free you up to experience joy. On the positive side, maybe it's not something negative. Maybe it's something positive. Maybe there's somebody kind of on the periphery of your sphere of influence that you know is struggling. And you might just hear God's prompting say, go help them. It might be give them money. It might be give them time. It might be just being there for them. It might be something like that in which God is saying, yep, yeah, that would be something and I'm just saying whether it's inconvenient or, or uncomfortable is a much less uh, a small price to pay for the joy to be had. Matter of fact, Christ actually went to the cross for the joy. It says that in Scripture because it was obedience. Whenever we move toward what God wants for us, we respond affirmatively to God's leading, God's prompting, whether it's in His Word or prayer or through our conscience, Joy is a byproduct of that. And so I suggest that we take some time if we want to truly experience joy this Christmas. Now that could feel heavy. Oh, God's, God's out to get me and I got to fix this. Otherwise, no, 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 no. This is a growth opportunity. This is about a God who loves you. Now let's just examine this for a moment, okay? I was, uh, I was reading... Um, uh, a book this week, and, and, and I think the author works with um, a nonprofit, a, um, international aid organization, I believe. And it may be a Christian organization, but this person certainly is a Christian. And he talks about uh, a certain part of the world, a, a very large part of the world, has a certain religious belief and worldview, which is very aggressive. And, um, and he begins to tell them about Christmas. And he begins to try to explain why Christmas is such a big celebration. And when he gets to Emmanuel, God came to be with us. 
they kind of go blank because the concept, and if you think about we in the West have been raised with this and we've been inculcated with a loving God, a caring God, to the point where we take it for granted. But if you have lived any other time in history under any other religious belief system, God is not a pleasant, loving, caring kind of being. God is often a capricious, kind of angry, vengeful kind of being who needs to be bought off, needs to be tricked, needs to be somehow. And he says, when he gets to the part where he says that Christ came, that God came because he loves us. He doesn't need anything from us. He's not trying to, to, to get something from us. He came because he loved us, only to offer us reconciliation. When they realize that the kind of God that is described in Scripture, the kind of God that Christians worship is a loving God, not a vengeful God, he says there's always two responses. The first one is shock. You believe there's that kind of God? Not a God who's trying to catch us doing wrong. Not a God who's trying to manipulate us. Not a God we have to earn his favor by doing all the rules. But a God who loves us. It's always shock. And then it's joy. Because it is joyful. What an amazing thought that Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, Almighty God came. Augustine or Augustine talked about it's through, it's through his humility, meaning the nativity, that we see his glory. A God who had not come in all of his glory and all of his power to freak us out, which would happen, but a God who would allow us to see his love in a baby, which doesn't freak us out. It allows us to see his love. Now, by the way, in, in the passage I, I quoted a while ago, wonderful counselor we talked about last week, but mighty God, Mighty God, we in the West have been so inculcated with the fact that God is a loving God that we kind of take it for granted. But what if you had lived under another system where the gods, every time the volcano went off, the gods were angry and you had to sacrifice a child? A, to think of Almighty God is a cause for fear, by the way. And even for those who believe in the true God, it's a cause for fear. How many times did Luke, during the Christmas story, say, do not be afraid, quoting the angels? Three, four more throughout the book of Luke. Do not be afraid. We have lost our reverence for God. We're not supposed to be afraid of God, but we need to take God serious because it's almighty God. It's almighty God. And when we realize mighty God, he can cause a virgin birth. He could cause a resurrection from the dead. A part of coming to a place of joy is a proper understanding of mighty God Yes, he is loving and he's caring, but he is mighty and powerful. And we need to get our thoughts straight about who God is and make sure it's according to Scripture, not according to somebody else. See, while we live in a Christian country, or at least a country founded on a Judeo-Christian, we still get it messed up. I have a friend a number of years ago that every time something bad had happened in his life, he's like, yeah, God's getting me back. Do you ever feel that way? When something bad happens, oh, God's getting me back because I messed that other thing up. That's not in the Bible anywhere. That's nowhere in the Bible. What happened is my friend is stupid. He made bad decisions and he got the consequences of them. It's not God. It's your own stupidity. That's not that. But many of us are raised in certain environments, certain things. We have certain beliefs about God that are not true at all. Mighty God came down as a baby so that we could live in joy and not fear by the way, oftentimes those who were afraid were the ones who ended up with joy when they got a right understanding of what Christmas was about. Let me just kind of go through some of those for you real quick. Um, 
in, in, in those three times. The first one was Luke 1, 11 through 25. And it's talking about Zechariah and the angel of the Lord appears to him. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered. A powerful way to fight fear in our life is to realize that God hears our prayers and answers them. And then we talk about um, Mary in Luke 2, at the end of it. By the way, Luke was a, was a physician. He was a doctor. He probably was used to saying to somebody, now don't be afraid. This is only going to hurt a little bit. Doctors are liars, by the way. The angel went to her and said, talking about Mary, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled with these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. The first one is that God cares about us. In Zechariah, God cared about the fact that they hadn't had a baby. God cared about that. He heard their prayers. This one is about, is about grace. Because this word favor teaches us about God's character and his attitude toward us. Listen to this. Uh, Mary found favor with God. That actual word is the word for grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. In other words, God does for us, gives to us these gifts simply because he loves us. Not because we've earned it or we can pay him back, but because he loves us. Unmerited favor. Mary found favor or grace with God. Here's what it really sounded like if you translated that same word, which could legitimately translate grace. Grace to you who are highly graced, you have found grace with God. <laughs> grace, 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 grace. In other words, God wants to do for you and does for you just out of his goodness. It is grace. You're not earning his favor. Um, what's interesting is that same word is used about us, believers, in Ephesians 1.6. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In other words, Christmas is about God giving us grace, his unmerited favor. If you don't get anything else out of this talk, you can have a joyful Christmas if you just get this. God has extended grace to you through the baby in the manger. That God is not wanting something from you. He is not trying to catch you messing up and saying, gotcha. He says, I love you, period, if you just receive the gift. And we don't fear also because there's good news. When the announcement was made to the shepherds, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Just the baby in the manger should cause us great joy because it means so much. It means that we're reconciled to God, that we can be forgiven, that our life has meaning and purpose and that God has a plan and that there is heaven forever for those who believe. As I think about reasons for joy, we yearn for joy. We yearn for certain things. For example, where does everyone, everybody want to be on Christmas? Home, right? You don't hear that about Memorial Day. We just hope to be home for Memorial Day and Labor Day. We just want to be there. No, you want to be somewhere else on those days, right? Even Easter. Most people say, they might have dinner together, but it's not like we're going to travel home for Easter, right? Right? It's a, you know, I'll be home for Easter. No, it's not. It's Christmas. And why is that? Well, because we have wonderful traditions. We have great food. But I want to suggest that it's something more. This is just first chapter of Doyle. It's just my guess, okay? But I want to suggest to you that there is something, because we were created in God's image. Some of that's still in there. And I want to suggest to you that when we come together with those that we love and we're in that environment that we feel comfortable, that home is actually a deep yearning for what we were created for in the garden. And it was robbed from every one of us by the fall. I want to suggest to you that it is a desire for the way things should be. They were supposed to be, and they will be one day again. 
It's more than just a meal, and it's more than just presents, and it's more than just trying to make it for an hour or two without fighting with your siblings. It is a deep, deep desire. You know what's interesting, though, is on the first Christmas, nobody was home. Think about it. Nobody's home at Christmas. Shepherds weren't home. They were out playing cards in the field, and they went to Bethlehem. Wise men weren't home. They were on the road, right? Joseph and Mary weren't home, and certainly Jesus wasn't home. I want to suggest that Jesus left home at Christmas so that you and I could be at home forever. Because we all desire home. And home is not just your family here. There's some wonderful things about home that we think about. We think about home, we think about the security. You get home, you kick your shoes off, you put your feet up. It's just, it's just, it's good. It's good to be there. It's a place where, where you belong. I once read that, that home is the place where they have to let you in when you go there. It's a place where I belong. It's, it's a place where I can celebrate. Truth is, you'll never be more secure than you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And you'll never belong more than you belong to the one who loves you unconditionally and died for your sins. You do belong. You belong to him and you belong to each other. We belong in the family of God. We belong. We want to be home because we want to celebrate Christmas we want to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. The reason we do Thursday nights in December and the reason we do Christmas Eve is because we want to be with people who truly understand what Christmas is about. Not the consumer Christmas, not, not the kind of superficial Christmas, but Christmas, the one that is about joy and peace and love. We love home because it's a place of optimism. By the way, there's another phrase in that, in that Isaiah 9, 6 that I mentioned to you while ago, and I'll tell you that this quickly. It is wonderful counselor, mighty God, those we get. But the next one is weird. It's everlasting Father. This is a reference to Jesus, not the Heavenly Father. You know, the Trinity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everlasting Father is a title assigned to Jesus. Well, how can it be the Son and the Father at the same time? If you read Scripture, you'll find that he is the Father of the human race. He is the one who gave life to the human race. You will find that he is the author of, our, author of our faith, our spiritual father. I think that maybe one of the reasons that Isaiah was inspired to include that is so that we could understand Jesus' attitude toward us. If you said just our brother, we have sibling rivalries and stuff that we might not get it. But the picture of a father is consistent. An everlasting father. He is God, but he feels toward us. This week I got a phone call from my dad a couple of days ago. And you know, I'm old, but my dad's really old. You guys saw him a few weeks ago. He's like really old. And in, in, the, in their conversation, it was so cute. Hey, son, I just, I just want to tell you how proud I am of you. And I want to tell you how proud, and, and then he switched to we, he and mom, of you and Connie and, and the kids. And we just love who you've become and the family you've raised. And we're so proud of those little grandkids. They're going to do great things. And, and we just love the church. And he just went on. You would think a guy my age would just go, thanks, Dad. I didn't, though. I was like a little kid. And, and what else? And what else? Because that's how my dad feels about me. That's what my dad does. That's his attitude and his intention toward me. Jesus is our everlasting Father. That is his attitude and his intention toward us is to encourage us because we're at home in him. That can bring joy, don't you think? That's better than any gift you'll open this year, if you can understand that. We need to have uh, not only joy, but we need to celebrate that joy. We need to have 
preparations to celebrate that joy. There's this passage in, in Ezra 1.5, and it says this, Then the family heads of, of Judah, Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, and I won't give you all the surrounding thing of this, but you'll get the gist of it. Everyone whose heart God had moved prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Here's what I want to challenge you with. Is your heart going to be moved this Christmas? Because we get busy. We, we, you know, we, we've turned a simple birth into a cluttered celebration. We've turned a historical Jesus into all kinds of mythologies with beards and white, um, white beards and red suits. And, and we've changed from giving the point of Christmas, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, to receiving what am I going to get for Christmas? That's how we evaluate it. What if we just decided that maybe the point of Christmas this year is joy? And one of the ways we get to joy is to allow God to somehow move our hearts. Some of us are so kind of stuck in a rut, in our attitudes, in our worldview. What if Jesus wanted to move our heart this year? I don't know how it's going to happen for you, but I'm going to challenge you to try to find it, that he could move your heart. Maybe it's in reading his word and a deeper study of what it means that Christ came and that could move your heart. Maybe it's in enumerating all of his blessings as you come to the end of this year and you remember all the incredible things that God has done for you. Maybe that will move your heart. Maybe it's here together as we celebrate and we hear each other sing the truth of what Christmas is really about. Maybe it's in serving someone who's in need. It might be going to Skid Row to hand out blankets or food. It might be coming here and being on the parking lot and testing your Christianity. <laughs> How is your heart going to be moved this year? Are you going to go through with just the same heart and the same place and same condition? I think one of the wonderful things about celebrating Christ's birth is I have a chance for my heart to move to become more like Jesus, to be touched by something. I would challenge you to allow something, to find something. You know, this idea of, of finding joy this time of year is not, it's not just finding it, it's actually fighting through to it. It's fighting through the busyness. It's fighting through the distractions. It's fighting through your own attitudes to a place where you truly remember what Christmas is about and you receive that gift of joy. Isn't it weird to think you have to fight your way to joy? But I'll guarantee you it won't happen any other way. You're going to have to make time. You're going to have to spend energy. You're going to have to go places where the true Christmas is celebrated so that your heart is moved. And in that moment, you will experience joy. One of the most powerful things is celebrating Christmas together. You see, Christmas wasn't intended to be celebrated alone. Do you know why Scrooge was mean? It's because he was isolated. He wasn't isolated because he was mean. He was mean because he was isolated. Remember that flashback? Remember the one where he was a kid at school and everybody else went home for vacation? Are you guys with me? So it's a, it's a, it's a, a play, a book written by Dickens. <laughs> and the hero is not, I mean, the, the guy is not green, but he is stingy. You, you've heard of this, right? Just checking. <laughs> Joseph had Mary, and then he had Jesus. The shepherds had each other. The wise men had each other. In Isaiah, it says, for unto us a son is given. Us. We are to be together. And then they did come together and celebrate. And they celebrated with the wise men. And they celebrated with the shepherds. And we are to celebrate together. We are to celebrate. And so this Christmas, don't just have celebrations, the commercial kind. Even the warm, fuzzy family kind. Make sure that you have celebrations of the true Christmas with people who understand and that their goal is joy, not just happiness. 
And if you can do that, if you can fight your way through that expectation, fight your way through to the joy, I will guarantee you, you'll have a great Christmas this year. I guarantee it. Joy. Be joyful. Receive the gift. Make yourself available, and God will give you joy. Let's pray. Lord God, today I thank you for joy. I like being happy too, Lord. Please give me more of that. <laughs> but more than that, I want joy. Because I know that happiness is fleeting and it's temporal, it's momentary. But Lord, knowing that you love me, knowing that you're working my life, and somehow supernaturally, you are allowing me to understand that in such a way that I am joyful. That is powerful. That is something that can't be taken away. That is something that, that can't be generated. And yet, I think it's the point of this season. So Lord, help me receive your joy. Help me live in your joy. Help me have joy so abundantly that others see joy on my face and in my life and in my actions. Lord God, I pray that you would make us joyful people this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.